Hi, this is Mark Thompson, and you're listening to the Westfield Second Ward Family Podcast. You know, I always joke with everybody about being old-timers in the ward, but you you moved in before me, so you're a real old-timer. Yeah, we were some of the uh, early uh, move-ins to the Kensington area, Yeah, like about the fifth home, I think, built over here, if I remember right. So you, have you been in nine years? Ten. Ten? Ten as of May 1st. Oh, wow, you're in double digits. I haven't, I haven't met anybody in double digits before. <laughs> You're a real old timer. Well, great. Well, um, why don't you tell? So, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Lehigh? Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up. I've been a few different places around Utah. Okay. Provo, uh, Price, Salt Lake City, a couple of those different areas like that. You lived and in Price. I did. Did you know a brother Vogel? I did. Oh, it was my roommate. He was a seminary teacher, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, he was my seminary teacher. Oh, was he? Yes. <laughs> my roommate from college at Weaver, his dad was from Price. So. Yeah, no, a great guy. Yeah, yeah. He had cool. some interesting stories. Oh, he does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this isn't about him, though. But yes, I know, does. but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was roomed with Charles Manson. What? Yeah. I didn't hear that story. Yeah. <laughs> you got to share that now. Well, I guess... Uh, you know, Charles Manson, they were, you know, they just needed, you know, places to live and stuff like that because they were orphans. Right. Yeah, he was an orphan. He was an orphan. And so he was bunk mates with uh, Charles Manson for a while. Oh, my gosh. Maybe I do remember that now. I think John did tell me that. Wow. But uh, no helter-skelter for Brother Vogel. No, no. And, and really didn't have much to say about him. I don't know if they interacted much, but... <laughs> Well, so I have a friend, you know, I have another podcast. Uh, Brent Ashworth has a, a collectibles place in Provo, and he knows two serial killers. Um, uh, Mark Hoffman, who's who, who we were right. talking about, who tried to actually kill him. Right. And then the other one was um, Ted Bundy. He went to law school with Ted, Bud- Ted Bundy. Oh. Oh, wow. And so I was like, how many people know two serial killers? This is crazy. <laughs> Enough to know one. Yeah, I know. So anyway, well, we we better turn on to better topics. Uh, (laughs) So why don't you tell us about two or three uh, memories from your childhood? Um, You started in Provo and then you went to Price, is that right? And then where did you go after that? So we did some time in Provo, some time in uh, Murray, Midvale. Okay. Uh, Just growing up, just dad changing jobs and things with that, but uh, uh, then about uh, the time that I was ready to start high school, we moved to California. Oh, okay. So we lived, uh, for the time that I, until the time I graduated from high school, we lived in California, and they came back and moved to Price while I got ready to go on my mission. Oh, okay. So Brother Vogel was your institute teacher? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I actually went to, when I got back from my mission, uh, I went to the College of Eastern Utah for a year and a half. Right, which is now Utah State Eastern. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, still, I still call it CEU, and my daughter's like, what's that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that was my time with that. And then once I graduated from that, I went to Utah State. Oh, you're an Aggie. Yeah, so I started at uh, CEU in fine arts. Oh. And uh, took a computer class just out of curiosity 
punch card and all of those no crazy way. things. Uh, had to modem all of our punch card into Weber for them to run it. Oh my goodness. And then we'd get the results the next day. But that was just really fascinating to me and so I changed my major. Uh, originally looked at going to BYU and went down and studied the program that they had there at the time. I wasn't impressed and ended up going to USU oh, instead. Okay. Well, very good. Well, wow. So, you know, because they always talk about the first bug in the program was an actual moth that got uh -huh. somebody stuck in somebody's punch cards. Did you ever have that happen to you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing that extreme. I didn't have to deal with punch cards for more than about six months of oh. time after, after that. It was, you know, that was more of the teletype computers or the you know, right. keyboard type of stuff, but... Yeah, uh, things have changed a lot. So you learned COBOL and Fortran and Pascal. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't even use those anymore, except on the old mainframes, I think. Yeah, right. So, well, let's jump into your professional background, then we'll jump back to your growing up. So tell us more. So you're a, like a computer science major then? Or? Yeah, I graduated in computer science, uh, minored in accounting. No? Um, started off into a software company that did uh, trade book store software. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I went and did out of college and eventually I've uh, moved into a company called Circe Dynix and we do software for libraries. So, oh wow. So the libraries like BYU and, and Lehigh and <laughs> all around the world um, use our software to run their and manage their libraries. You know I was watching Ghostbusters and people just don't remember because there's that thing where they have the card catalog and the cards start flying uh -huh. out and people just don't know <laughs> That's how you used to find books, uh -huh. those things. Yeah. And so we love your software, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's certainly it's a fun business, and it's a great group of customers to work with mm -hmm. uh, because you, you love what their passion is. And uh, so they all talk with their library voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but I've been with the company for 32 years. Wow. As, as of the end of March. Wow. And so you don't go to the office anymore, you're just a work-from-home guy? No, ever since the whole COVID thing, yeah. I've pretty much uh, been working from home. Uh, so many people are remote that even going into the office, which is only three and a half miles away, uh -huh. uh, is is pretty empty experience. <laughs> well, cool, cool. All right. Well, let's jump back to your childhood then. Uh, how, lo how long did you live in Provo? I lived in Provo just mostly through kindergarten age. Oh, so really young. So you probably yeah. don't have many memories of Provo. Not too much, no. And then you went to? We went to Midvale. Um, actually, uh, we moved from uh, kind of the Midvale to Provo. So I was that was like preschool mm -hmm. uh, before then, and then Provo. And then we went up to Salt Lake, then California, and then Price. So what are two or three good childhood memories? Any broken bones? Any uh, oh, crazy I've, fireworks stories? Uh, I've had a lot of crazy stories in my life, but uh, probably the craziest one is, is out of California. Okay. Um, when I moved to California there, the group, uh, the scouting group there was very big into uh, what they called the peat bag program, which is an extension from the scouts out in California. It was very uh, kind of an interesting little uh, extension the way that they did things and they got awards by climbing mountains 
and so got pretty interested in uh, mountaineering and doing that type of stuff while I was there. Um, in fact, our scout leader ended up dying on one of our outings. He, Ouch. He fell into a 300-foot crevasse. Oh. And so, uh, interesting experience for the scouts to have to go and recover his body, you know, help to recover his body and mm. pull that out. That was out in Mount University in the Sierra Mountain area there. Uh, but a uh, friend and I got very serious into rock climbing, um, did a lot of stuff around the areas there with Joshua Tree and Yosemite and some of that type of stuff. And one of our trips to Yosemite, um, we had a climb on Royal Arches and we were up there, we were at the top and it was at that point pretty late, so it was dark not a lot of stars out and a really fascinating thing happened a meteor actually came and flew over the top of us wow. while we were there at the top of the mountain and literally lit up the whole valley so that we could see for a few minutes and hit up just up above us wow so the next day the rangers came because you have to register your climbs and they knew that we had made that climb and so they were like trying to find out well where did you see it where did it go what you know Mm -hmm. trying to figure out where this meteor had hit and landed but uh, we were real popular that next day <laughs> <laughs> wow and coming down for that so it didn't wipe out the planet like the dinosaur right? no it well, i'm sure it was probably just a little small thing but it was enough to really create quite the fireball as wow. it came through the valley that late at night that's crazy well cool so yeah it was quite the experience all right anything else like that any other stories you want to share well, I had another experience there at Yosemite, too. Um, I actually owned the record for the highest living fall for quite a number of years. The highest living fall? Highest living fall. I'm not sure I know what that is. Well, that's having a long fall off a cliff and still surviving. Oh, my goodness. It's not like Niagara Falls over in a barrel. No, no, no. <laughs> it was not intentional anything like that. But uh, we were climbing over by the falls and just uh, not a big climb like the Royal Arches. And how was, old were you at this time? I was 18. 18, oh my. So just right previous to my mission. Wow. And uh, so I did, I had a nice little tumble. How far was it? 150 feet. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Holy cow. So I lived in the hospital for about a month and a half. Really? After yeah. that. What, uh, broken bones? Uh, it's probably easier to figure out which ones weren't broken, but I've got metal all through me. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, to wow. hold me together and put me back. But Holy, so it was pretty bad. Yeah, it was uh, pretty close to they dead. life light you out there? They couldn't, um, just because uh, the helicopter was already in use at the time. And so they had to uh, uh, do the ambulance through those very curvy roads oh, yeah. and everything and what they did with that but they were able to get me down to did uh, they give you morphine or anything i have no there? idea i, <laughs> I don't re i have a whole week of my life that i don't have any memory of oh really yeah so you got a concussion then apparently i'm sure i did <laughs> i'm sure i did wow so it's probably good that you don't remember that probably <laughs> probably a good thing but luckily wow. we were just where we were climbing is right over by the rangers area and so my friend who 
had to hurry and scramble down off the wall, um, was able to run just a few hundred yards to uh, get help. Wow. And so that was a pretty big difference. So did they have to rappel down to get you then? or uh... No, I fell right flat to the ground. Oh, okay. So, yeah, it was... So it wasn't that hard to get to you? No, no. Getting to me was actually pretty easy. Okay. That was not a big deal. Wow. Ouch. <laughs> so, yeah, I've had a few interesting stories in my life. <laughs> wow. Well, tell us about the development of your faith. You probably grew up in the church, it sounds like. I did. Uh, uh, growing up, uh, my dad was not active for a number of years. About the time that I got to the point of receiving the priesthood is when he finally started getting, getting active. Okay. Uh, but otherwise, um, my father's side was not active. My mother's side was very active. Uh, and so, you know, I had that kind of dichotomy through, mm -hmm. through things, but... Most and all, generally always had good support in going to church and participating. And obviously, Scouts was always a big, uh, Young Men's was always a big draw in keeping me and going you know, through those kinds of things and keeping connected with the church and stuff like that. But. Well, cool. And then, um, so uh, I guess you went on a mission after that. You said you did that right after your fall. Yeah, I was supposed to leave on my mission in October of that year. I uh, ended up not going until the end of January, so I had to... Only three-month delay? Yeah, three-month delay. With all those injuries, With wow. With all those injuries, I almost had to learn, relearn how to walk. Yeah, I would assume. I had walked uh, through, so I did a lot of rehab. And, so uh, they must have sent you stateside, I'm guessing. They did end up sending me stateside. Um, I got permission for my my father to carry my bags into the MTC oh. because I couldn't actually physically carry them. Oh, at the I'm point. sure, yeah. Uh, but uh, but otherwise, yeah, it ended up being a very good mission. Where'd you go? I went uh, to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was the primary. <laughs> it was the primary mission. I actually started in the Minnesota Minneapolis mission. Oh. which then split into the Milwaukee-Wisconsin mission, which then sp split into the Chicago-Illinois mission. Oh. So I, between those three states, I was all over the place. Wow. So you started, so Vikings and Packers don't get along. <laughs> Neither did the Bears. Neither did the Bears. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So do you have any mission stories you want to share? Boy, there's so many different mission stories that we had out there. We had uh, one family that we had ran into that uh, it was really interesting. When I was on my mission, I don't know why, I seemed to have this kind of designation of I'm the one that could turn people around. Mm. So I would get. So you got all the hard companions? I got all. Yeah, most of my companions were quite a challenge. Oh my. The mission president would call me up and he would say, okay. I'm transferring you to this area. This is going to be your companion. And you let me know if there's a problem, we'll send him home. Oh. You know, it was that kind of a thing. Really? Yeah. And so I had, uh, I was transferred over into Milwaukee area in the downtown area there. And the companion that I had, that I was transferred into, it was very interesting, him and his companion, uh, they would determine uh, you know, whether they were going to either go on dates that night, 
based on how many mission, how many lessons they taught that day, or whether they were going to go to a movie. You know, they would they would reward themselves based on how well they did during their tracting through the day. And so they were like just best buds. And so I was the person who was the breakup. <laughs> and uh, so my first several weeks with him as a companion, we would I would get up in the morning and you know try to do my morning things, and I would try to get him out of bed, and he would come over and he'd hand me the phone, and he'd hand me the phone book, and he says, "Phone tracked." And he'd go back in the room and shut the door. Wow. So that was my first two weeks with him as a companion. Well, one day we had just kind of a conversation. And I said, hey, give me a chance. What if, what if we just get up in the morning and we'll do a little prayer? And we're going to say, you know, hey, Lord, show us the place to go and where we're inspired to go. We're going to go, and if we don't have success, then I'll keep phone tracking. So he said, okay, I'll give you that one time. Wow, how generous. So we went out, and uh, we knocked on this one door. So we came to the street and just felt really impressed to go to the street. So we knocked on a few houses, and of course nobody was answering. It's, it was really interesting because you could hear the phone calls go from house to house saying, hey, the missionaries are out, don't answer your doors. But we, you know, about halfway through the street, this one lady answered the door, and she looked at my companion, and her mouth just dropped. And we're like, okay, what's going on here? And she goes, wait here, just a minute. She went, ran back into her house, she grabbed this picture and she came out with this picture that looked exactly like my companion. Hmm. Just exactly. She goes, this is my brother. He died five years ago. He was killed. Wow. And she goes, you got to come in. you got to come talk to me. So we got in, got a chance to talk to her. You know, never was baptized or anything like that, but just a real positive experience. And it really turned my companion around. It was more of a value for him than it was that for this lady and whatever we had there. But wow. he was just so surprised by the fact that something happened that was more meaningful than just the regular knocking on doors and experience that he had had through his mission. And uh, so that was kind of one of the kind of fun stories that we that I had with the mission. But we used to do you know just whatever we could to try to figure out how to bring interest into whatever, you know, because trying to break through that doorway was so, so hard. Oh, I know. And whatever we did. My, my son's on a mission in Montana and they do not track. I'm like, what is a mission without tracting? What is that? I know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, you know, how effective was tracting, right? <laughs> well, exactly. But, uh, you know, we would do whatever we could do, like... In, in a lot of our areas, we had these, ho or these apartments that had the rails that would go around on the, each of the floors, and they were on the outside. We had quite a number of them, and so we would have, I'd have my companion go up to the top, to the level just above me, and I'd knock on the door, and somebody would answer the door and say, hey, we're here to teach you about a book from heaven. And my companion would drop the Book of Mormon down <laughs> to me, and I would catch it. 
<laughs> it was just enough to kind of get people's attention to say, all right, you know, That's maybe awesome. this, this, this isn't such a, a terrible, you know, brainwashing thing that you guys are here for. Uh, and we would get in the doors through wow. doing just kind of stunts like that to you know, get people's attention and realize that, hey, we're just people. Right. You know, trying to teach something we think is important. Because <laughs> the Moonies were really big at that time. And so you had a lot of them that were there. And they were going in, they would knock on doors. And if the door was unlocked and nobody answered, they'd go in and they would steal. And so you had police officers that would station themselves in homes throughout the area. And if you can show our identity, you, know, you had to have your credentials. And if you didn't, you were going to jail. Wow. This is in Milwaukee? This is in Chicago, Chicago. Milwaukee, you know, all those areas through there. Wow. It was just an ongoing thing. It was really regular and prevalent. Hmm. I never had anything like that happen. That's weird. Yeah, no, we had a few missionaries that ended up in jail that we had to go and get out because they just forgot to pick up their credentials that day. Wow. That's funny. You, you hear about that in foreign countries. You don't hear about that in America, though. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, cool, cool. Well, tell me about the family. What family relationships have had the most impact on your life? Oh, obviously, you know, my father has always been a big impact in my life. Um, in growing up, and him and I have always had a close relationship. He's taught me so much. Uh, so some of my interests and things that I have are related to the things that uh, I grew up with with him and things with that. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my grandfather, Johnson, was, uh, he was the kind of guy who could build and make anything and generally did. Uh, he had a, a handshake that literally, he could break your, the bones in your hand. He had such strength. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, and he could just build whatever. But he also had a real powerful testimony. And... Uh, so whenever we spent time with him and stuff like that, there was always a lot to be learned from that and a lot of strengthening that went up that way. Very cool. Well, you know, we got Mother's Day coming up. Do you have any good Mother's Day stories or anything? Uh, I can't think of any right <laughs> off the top. Pammy, you think of anything? <laughs> no? All right, that's okay. What has nurtured your testimony most during your adult life? I think the biggest thing for me, and when I look back at my life and just the evolution of my spiritual growth and what's been there, has been just a combination of a couple of things. Uh, scriptures study has always been probably number one. But uh, certain leaders have, who've challenged me uh, and helped me to kind of be better than myself or has have asked me to do things that I didn't necessarily feel like I was capable of doing. I think that those types of things really made the big difference in my personal growth and uh, trying to really put myself out there and to do things that I'm uncomfortable doing. I'm not naturally a person who's comfortable talking to a lot of people or going out of their way to be friendly or out, you know, um, kind of introvert in a lot of ways. And so uh, I've appreciated those kinds of pushes that have helped me do some things where, you know, I did 13 years of Boy Scouts um, and having to work with, 
you know, large groups of boys. We're talking like, you know, 15 to 20 types of boys um, and all the different kinds of personalities that each of them have and uh, learning to be able to love them uh, and to feel for them and care for them and those types of callings like that have always been uh, very special for me in my life and what's made a big difference. Very good. What life experiences caused you most to trust in God? Boy, that's just like an everyday thing. Um, it wasn't falling off a mountain? No, it really wasn't. <laughs> Although, uh, it's interesting because you know, a special thing that was for me is related to that is that in my mother's patriarchal blessing, it says that all of her children will live to adulthood. And you think about that kind of a fall and how close I was to death. That yeah. was really a revelation fulfilled yeah. in, in that. But uh, independent of that, you know, our, two of our boys uh, are type 1 diabetics. And one was uh, diagnosed at eight months. Wow. And literally, it's been through the power of the Spirit that he's still alive. Uh, from uh, voices in the middle of the night to say, hey, your kid's in trouble. Get up. And just stuff like that. that it's just a constant reminder for me mm -hmm. and my testimony and, and the power that uh, the tender mercies that we've received through our life. Uh, they're just always feel like they're ongoing and never ending. That's awesome. Well, what do you love most about the Westfield Second Ward? Uh, I, I wish that. Uh, I had a little bit more time that I was spending with them. We, Pam and I haven't really been around the ward much for the last three years. Yeah. Uh, with my mom, uh, she was in a care center for a while and we were going to the branch there to make sure that she had some company to go to church with. And then with COVID, uh, all of the medical issues that were happening in those care centers, we ended up pulling her out and bringing her home. And so uh, a lot of our time has been spent with that. And then Pam's mom's been here a lot lately as well and needing some additional support on that, not near what my mom does. but. Uh, so you've appreciated Zoom Church? We have. It had, that's been one of those tender mercies that yeah. for us has been absolutely incredible, uh, as well as finding, you know, come follow me, I think, couldn't have happened at a better time for us and our family. Definitely home-centered, right? Church-supported. Oh, that has been the best thing uh, that could ever happen for us and what we need to do to maintain our spirituality because we just we don't get all of that same support that you would get when you're meeting in a group. And uh, for us, you know, our little small family is our group a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And we do learn a lot. And we found some extensions on that resource, uh, uh, some resources there that have even helped to empower that even that much more, uh, that has just made that information just so valuable. 
Well, and I was happy to hear that you've been listening to the Ward podcast, so it kind of helps keep you a little bit connected to the uh, Ward. That, that's been part of the reason that I did that. I was like, wow, this is such a great way to get to know some people. <laughs> it, uh, and some of those have been some just wonderful stories. Yeah, yeah. Do you, have any, do you want to share any favorites? Any? I just, I think just learning about the people, you know, Kanini <laughs> with, you know, the special island that he's coming right, from. Right, Molokai, yeah. Eves and just some of the experiences that they have had and just, uh, I just like, wow, you know, you just have no idea how people have grown up and the kinds of challenges or things that they've right. had experiences through. Right. And you're just like, well, you know. My life is so much simpler <laughs> in comparison to so many others. Well, I don't know. Falling off a mountain, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that was so 18 ago. <laughs> oh, cool. Do you have a favorite calling? Like if you could pick your own calling. I know you used to be in the high priest group. Is that your favorite? or what you, what's High priest group was, was a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. I did enjoy that. Uh, Stake Sunday School Presidency was actually uh, some time I spent there and just... Uh, the men that I was able to work with were just fantastic. I think it was them that made that experience uh, as much as anything. But I think I've really have enjoyed every calling that I've had except for one. Oh, I was going to ask your least favorite, too. Uh, we were the kind of young adult represents representatives in the ward. And that just, it was hard because... Uh, again, my personality and things like that made that a little tougher to kind of go out because you had to be very proactive in everything you did with stuff. And uh, a lot of times you were kind of making it up as you're going along, you felt like. Even though uh, over time we got better and more and more support from the stake. But uh, initially uh, it was kind of hard to kind of figure out really what it is that we were supposed to do. <laughs> Wow, you know, I was the—that's funny. I was the young adult rep when I was single, in a family ward, and there were like three of us. And I'm like, what is the point of this? You know, I need send me back to the singles ward. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I was like six months, and I was back in the singles ward. <laughs> that is tough. Even whether you're married or single, that's a tough one. Yeah, so. yeah. We had kind of ebbs and flows as to where we were successful and not successful, but yeah. Well, cool, cool. Well, I'm going to ask you the hard question now. If I, if you could send one message a hundred years into the future for your posterity to hear, what would it be? And oh, by the way, this is going to be recorded, so they'll hear it in a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough one, and I was trying to think about uh, really what that message would be. You know, as I think as a father, and what I try to help with my children and grandchildren is just trying to stay close to the Spirit. And you just don't really realize, I think often enough, how much the Lord is really involved in our lives. And uh, just trying to keep yourself, your mind, uh, your thoughts, your deeds and things so that you're worthy to have that can really make a huge difference in your life. And I think that's probably would be and is for my kids today uh, the message that I would put out there. Mm-hmm.
I want to ask another question. Um, so how did you and Pam meet, by the way? Especially since Pam's not wanting to be on here. We've got to get her on here somewhere. <laughs> well, Pam and I kind of met through a friend. So like her, a blind date? No. Her and a friend actually came over to, uh, we had a, an apartment. Of, I was roommates with a bunch of other guys. This is up in Logan? This was actually down in Provo. Oh. Uh, it's after I had graduated and was down here working. No. Um, Pam and her friend came over and just kind of talked for a little while. And uh, it was kind of funny because she was talking about this boy that was trying to date her and things like that. It's like, wow, she's really kind of cute. And I'd really like to get to know her a little bit better, but she's already got this other interest. Well, she had a work party. Her and her friend were trying to figure out, well, it's like, who, we need to take dates to this work party. And so uh, her friend said, well, why don't you take Mark? to the work party and so oh so she asked you she asked me wow so otherwise I mean to me I was thinking she's already got other interests mm -hmm. right so she in, asked me to this work party and we really clicked mm -hmm. and so from there it was just kind of went fast didn't it how long was how long did you guys date uh, probably about five months okay yeah, that's pretty quick did you say that right well, cool, cool. All right, so did we miss anything? What, what else do we need to know about Mark? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of things, but I can't think what that would be. <laughs> All right, well, you know, I feel lucky because I've known you for, I guess we've lived in the world eight years, uh -huh. so I've known you for eight years, and, and uh, bummed we don't get to see you at Cheers, but I totally understand why, and uh, so... So hopefully more of the ward will get to know you better. And this wasn't too painful, was it? No, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> you make it comfortable, right? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for being on the Westfield Second Ward Family Podcast. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm.